interested in singing. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter number 9 tonight. 1 Samuel chapter number 9. The past couple of weeks we have been preaching. I have titled the series, Dare to be a Donkey. And uh, very often we hear, Dare to be a Daniel. Uh, that's a little too ambitious for me. Amen. <laughs> I don't know if I can be a Daniel. Uh, we've been studying through the book of Daniel for months now in uh, in our Sunday school class. And... Uh, it's hard to imagine to be a be a Daniel, but I, I believe I could be a donkey. Amen. I believe I, I I believe there's some areas in my life and some things where I can I, I can accomplish that. And uh, so we've we've just been walking through and looking at a few different donkeys in the Word of God and their significance. And I'll go ahead and admit to you that the message tonight is going to be a little bit different than even the two prior ones uh, that we have preached upon. The first week we preached on how God called a disturbed donkey. To speak, and that, of course, was uh, Balaam's donkey, and how that God used that donkey uh, to speak in Balaam's life. Really, what we talked about was the abuse that poor animal suffered, uh, and how that God vindicated that animal, and we used it to talk about relationships that we have in life, and how that very often in standing for truth and standing for the Word of God, uh, we sadly suffer the hostility and the abuses of those uh, that do not want to do the will of God. And that certainly was true of that poor donkey. Uh, I like what the Lord said about, or the angel said about that donkey. He told Balaam, said, if I had had my choice, I would have killed you and kept the donkey. <laughs> Amen. And uh, so, I, you know, in that respect, of course, we, we want to dare to be a donkey. And then uh, we talked about last Sunday night, uh, the donkey in the book of Judges. How that God had called a dead donkey to be used to slay the Philistines, or we might say a dead donkey to sacrifice. Uh, how that that donkey, the jawbone of that donkey, represented the crucified life that God calls all of us to. Well, tonight, if the Lord will help us, in 1 Samuel chapter number 9, I want to take a few moments and preach to you on how God used, and I'm careful to use that word, used, did not call necessarily, but used a disobedient donkey to stray, or we might say a duo of donkeys to stray. First Samuel chapter number 9, we're going to be in reading in verse number 1, and we'll read the entirety of this chapter, and then a few verses in chapter 10. First uh, Samuel chapter number 9, the Word of God says, Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekroth, the son of Aphia, uh, the, a Benjamite, uh, a mighty man of power. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. There was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. And the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to Saul, his son, Take now one of the servants with thee and arise. Go, seek the asses. And he passed through Mount Ephraim, passed through the land of Shalisha, but they found them not. Then they passed through the land of Shalom, and there they were not. And he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they found them not. When they were come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come, and let us return, lest my father leaving, leave caring for the asses, and take thought for us. And he said unto him, Behold now, there is in this city a man of God. He is an honorable man. All that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now let us go thither. Peradventure he can show us our way that we should go. Then said Saul to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels, 
there is not a present to bring the man of God. What have we? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver. That will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come, and let us go to the seer. For he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. Then said Saul to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went unto the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they found young maidens going out to draw water and said unto them, Is the seer here? And they answered them and said, He is. Behold, he is before you. Make haste now, for he came today to the city. For there is a sacrifice of the people today in the high place. As soon as ye be come into the city, ye shall straightway find him before he go up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he come, because he doth bless the sacrifice. And afterwards they eat that be bidden. Now therefore get you up, for about this time ye shall find him. They went up into the city, and when they were come into the city, behold, Samuel came out against them for to go up to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin. Thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cries come unto me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I spake to thee of. This same shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me unto the high place, for ye shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let thee go, and will tell thee all that is in thine heart. And as for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on all thy father's house? Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the chiefest place among them that were bidden, which were about thirty persons. And Samuel said unto the cook, Bring the portion which I gave thee, of which I said unto thee, Set it by thee. And the cook took up the shoulder and that which was upon it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Behold, that which is left, set it before thee and eat. For unto this time hath it been kept for thee, since I said I have invited the people. So Saul did eat with Samuel that day. When they were come down from the high place into the city, Samuel communed with Saul upon the top of the house. And they rose early, and it came to pass about the spring of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, Up, that I may send thee away. And Saul arose, and they went out, both of them, he and Samuel, abroad. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servant pass on before us. And he passed on. But stand thou still a little while, that I may show thee the word of God. We'll stop there, uh, finish our reading as we come to it in the preaching. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time that you've given us. Bless the preaching of thy word tonight. May it speak to our hearts, and may it point us to Christ. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. As we have already said in, in sort of laying before you the scene and, and framing sort of the message, the donkeys that we're preaching about in the Word of God in many ways remind us of a believer. Now we jotted down a few characteristics of donkeys that I think look a lot like most believers. In fact, let me name a few of them to you. First off is the stubbornness of a donkey. 
most believers, uh, if we're being honest, every human being really, uh, we have stubbornness in our heart. And uh, I'll tell you this, a donkey can get a lot done, but not until his will is broken. Not until his will is bent and is subjected to the will of his master. And uh, that's true in your life and mine. There's no telling what God can do with us, but He's got to get us under subjection unto Him before He can do anything. Then, of course, the service of a donkey. They are beasts of burden. That is what they are designed for. They are not designed to charge into battle. They are designed to carry a heavy load. And that's true for the experience in life of most believers. There are a few, uh, probably in every generation, that seem to be called to take up the proverbial and metaphoric sword and shield and, and to stand as a vanguard. But you know, the average believer, uh, our life is spent merely serving the Lord in quietness, serving the Lord in obscurity and in obedience. And we are created for the service and glory of God. We talked about the strength of a donkey. The value in a donkey is in its strength, in the fact it's not in its beauty. Somebody say amen right there. Thank the Lord we got something other than beauty. Amen. We don't all, we're not all, not everybody looks like me. Not everybody can get by on their good looks. Amen. And, uh, but uh, a donkey, it's really, it's, its strength is its strength. Its ability. And really when you look at a donkey, it's almost deceiving. You wouldn't imagine it'd be as strong as it is. Uh, they're uh, sort of unassuming creatures, but their strength is uh, is astounding. We talked about the sure-footedness of a donkey. We talked about the stamina of a donkey. We talked about the substitute of a donkey. Uh, in the Old Testament, a donkey could the firstborn of a flock of donkeys could be kept, uh, which was unusual amongst other animals. Any clean animal, the firstborn of that of that flock, had to be given to the Lord, had to be killed, had to be sacrificed unto the Lord. But a donkey could be redeemed. A donkey, if that person wanted it to be kept because the Lord understood that the value in that donkey was not in its sacrifice but in its service and that it was worth more alive than dead and God understood how needful that donkey that it could literally make the difference in the family uh, or in the home of that family because of that, God permitted for that donkey to be redeemed. They'd have to pay for it with the life of a lamb. Isn't that a reminder of you and I? If we have any value, any worth, if our life is to mean anything or count for anything, uh, it's got to be redeemed by the Lamb of God. Amen? And then we talked about the selection of a donkey. Uh, donkeys were uh, ridden into Jerusalem by three prominent pre- people in the Word of God. Uh, David rode into Jerusalem upon the back of a donkey. Solomon rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And then our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. It sounds like the donkey is the choice uh, ride, the choice animal of kings. Amen. And isn't it good to know God could use just uh, God could use a lot of people. It shocks me He'd ever use me. Let me say that again, because you got real quiet. God could use a lot of people. It shocks me that He uses me. He don't have to use me. He don't have to use you. But He chooses the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. Now, in our text tonight, I want us to think, and I'll go ahead and admit to you that we might, we might, we're going to preach about these donkeys, but we're going to do a little preaching around these donkeys too. Because they really do not loom large in the body of our text. However, they are the pretense under which our text takes place. Were it not for these donkeys, nothing else in this chapter could happen the way that it happened. And we find that never for a moment were these donkeys outside of the watchful care of God. These donkeys were not where they ought to have been. 
They belong back in the pen at Kish's house. But they somehow got loose, they somehow got astray, and they wandered off. They did what they were not supposed to do. And yet we find that God brought a remarkable thing out of their straying. As we said in the opening of the service tonight, I want to preach on this thought, a disobedient donkey to stray. And I won't say God called these donkeys to do this for this simple reason. I don't believe it's ever the will of God for us to disobey the Lord. Never once. I, in fact, I spent more time than you wish I did this morning preaching on the fact that God never calls us to disobey. God does not excuse our disobedience. He does not condone our disobedience. But never for one second is He out of control of our disobedience. What I mean to say is this. God, through these donkeys straying, co-opted, used their disobedience to work effectually in the life of Saul. And I have to say this, and maybe this is a sermon we preach with our with our remembering hat on, with a look towards our past. Maybe this is a sermon we preach that we might unhook a little of that baggage that we carry around and let it drop off at the cross of Calvary and resign it to God's providence and recognize that even in our mistakes, God is able to bring good to pass. I want you to notice a few things that Saul's pursuit of these donkeys taught him. Now, I read the text. You heard me read it. You already know what's transpiring. Saul, the son of Kish, has been tasked to go and find these donkeys. If he's like most young men growing up on a farm that has been set to this task, he is probably disgruntled, ill-tempered, aggravated that he's having to do this in the first place. He never should have had to do this in the first place. But because of his responsibility, because of his association with these donkeys, and because the ownership of these donkeys by his father, it is his job to go throughout the wilderness searching for these two donkeys that are lost. The Bible tells us for three days that they're gone. But on this journey, he meets Samuel. And Samuel begins to uh, reveal to Saul that Saul indeed is going to be the next king or the first king over Israel. This never could have happened had it not been for these donkeys in the first place. I want you to notice a few thoughts, a few things that God brought to pass or God revealed to Saul or taught Saul through the straying of these donkeys. And let's think about them with our life. And you might be the donkey tonight. You might be Saul tonight. Amen? But wherever the Lord speaks to you, you just have your heart open to Him. Look with me at verse number 3 of First Samuel chapter number 9. And listen to what the Bible says. And the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to Saul, his son, Take now one of the servants with thee, and arise, go seek the asses. And listen to what the Bible says in verse 4. He passed through Mount Ephraim, and passed through the land of Shalish, but they found them not. Then they passed through the land of Shalem, and they, there they were not. And he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they found them not. You understand, now they're beginning to leave their own territory. And when they were come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come and let us return, lest my father leave caring for the asses and take thought for us. He said unto him, Behold, now there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now let us go thither. Peradventure he can show us our way that we should go. Let me say that through this process, Saul learned something about the path of God. 
In other words, the straying of these donkeys brought him to places that he otherwise would have never ventured. Can I say something to you tonight? And I'm going to trust the Lord to apply this to heart. Some of us have loved ones that have strayed. Kids, grandkids, brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, maybe older people in our life, aunts, uncles, mamas, daddies, grandparents. And our heart is broken in two. Can I tell you something? That oftentimes, even through the mistakes that they're making, God can use those things to bring us to a place that we otherwise spiritually never would have found ourselves. You know, let me tell you something. There are prayers I've prayed because I'm brokenhearted over people I love that I would have never thought to pray had everything been going well. There, there are perspectives. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor and I, one, of, one of the things I'm tasked with and I fail miserably at it, but is to try to have empathy uh, in people's lives. And there are things that I could have never understood if I hadn't had to go through them myself. We find that oftentimes as God uses the waywardness of other people, that we ourselves are brought to places we never would have chosen in and of ourselves to go to. Notice what he learns about the path of God. Number one, he he learns it's the scenic route. Now, before this whole thing is said and done, can I remind you that Saul is never the one that finds these donkeys. Uh, At some point in donkey talk, God says to these donkeys as their creator, donkeys, go back home. And they go back home. God could have done this when they were at the end of the driveway. God could have done this when they were at the edge of uh, of Kish's village. God could have done this at the border of the Benjamite territory. But God allows these donkeys to wander to such a ranging distance because He's not done yet working on His servant. And He takes time and He needs time to develop Saul and to put him in a place of awestruckness concerning God's wisdom. Let me say that very often the path of God in your life and mine is a scenic route and not a shortcut. I wish I could tell you, I remember talking to a pastor one time years ago and this guy had experienced some success and he's someone that I would consider to be an experienced, aged pastor uh, that had seen God do great things in his ministry. And, And I asked him one time, I said, what in your opinion is the secret of ministry. What have you done that you have found has been of great success in your ministry? And I remember he looked at me and he said, this is what you need to understand. Pastoring is a marathon, not a 50-yard dash. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, to be frank with you, I'm not doing much now that I'm running 300 than I was when I was running 30. We just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. And we didn't change and we stayed steady and we kept serving the Lord and living for the Lord and loving the Lord. And the fact is, sometimes time is an irreplaceable quality in the will of God and work of God in our life. If you want things done quick and if you want things done short and if you think, if you want to cut corners, then go ahead and walk the devil's path. That's how he does business. But God very often takes the scenic route. We see that the path of God was the scenic route. But let me say this, I believe the path of God was the sovereign route. I believe it was the exact path that Saul needed to be on. You say, why do you believe that, preacher? Because it brought him right up to the doorstep of Samuel the prophet. About the time that the 
the sun begins to get low in the sky and they begin to worry and they begin to think that Saul's daddy is going to worry. He looks over his servants and says, when he turn around and go home, daddy's going to worry about us and what do we do? And, and the servant said, well, let's just turn into this city because I happen to have heard that there's a man of God here and if we can get to the man of God, he can tell us what we need to do. And we understand, we preached a little bit about it this morning, how integral that Samuel would be to the life of Saul. It's never dawned on you that he would have never known Samuel if them donkeys hadn't got lost one day. Can I tell you something? Very often when your loved ones are wayward and are astray, and very often when your heart is broken in two, God will knit you to people. And God will give you people in your life that you otherwise either would have never met or would have never appreciated or struck up a kinship with had you not been going through common suffering. I found that suffering makes stronger friendships than leisure does. And the people that I have suffered with, I have a closeness to far greater than the people that I have enjoyed the pleasures of life around. The fact is, this sovereign root put him right where God needed him. How many of you know that God's purposes are manifold? God's never doing just one thing at a time. God's always doing a bunch of stuff. God's never just doing one thing at a time. God's always doing a a multitude of things. And yes, of course, God was working in Samuel's life. And yes, He was working in the servant's life. And to some greater or lesser extent, He was working in the donkey's life. But He was doing all this that He might bring Saul to a place where he could begin to work with them and deal with them. I'm saying this, that person that you're broken over, that person you're praying for, that person you're begging God for, God's working in their life, but has it ever dawned on you, He's working in your life too. And you would never be doing what you're doing. You'd never be leaning on Him the way you're leaning on Him if it wasn't for the fact that that donkey was lost in the first place. I believe it taught him something about the path of God. Look at verse number 10. This is astounding. The Bible says, Then said Saul to his servant, Well said. Now the servant said, Let's go into the city and let's find this man of God. And Saul says, Well, that sounds like a good idea. He says, Come, let us go. So they went unto the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they found young maidens going out to draw water and said unto them, Is the seer here? And they answered them and said, He is. Now let me pause and say, That's astounding that of all the days that they could have showed up, this was not the city uh, that Samuel lived in. Of all the days that they could have come to this city, they came when Samuel was there. Not only that, but it says this, Behold, he is before you. Make haste now, for he came today to the city. For there is a sacrifice of the people today in the high place. Not only that, but it says, As soon as ye be come into the city, ye shall straightway find him before he go up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he come, because he doth bless the sacrifice, and afterwards they eat that be bidden. Now therefore get you up, for about this time ye shall find him. Not only that, it says that they went up into the city, and when they were come into the city, behold, Samuel came out against them for to go up to the high place. Now do you understand just how remarkable what has transpired is? Uh, this is not Samuel's regular city that he that he dwells in, and and, and this is not where he normally uh, would have been. But he happened to be didn't happen to be uh, that, that's worldly language didn't happen to be, but he providentially was in that city on that day. Not only was he in that city on that day, but he had just got to the city that day. If they had come a day earlier, they would have missed him. 
If they had come a day later, they might have missed him. Not only that, but they showed up at the very time that he was getting ready to go up so they knew where he'd be traveling, what road he would be on, where he would be headed to. If they had showed up at another time, they might not have had a clue what house he was in. But they knew they could expect him to be coming out of the house and headed down the main street uh, so that he could go bless this sacrifice. Not only that, but then when they walk into the city, here comes Samuel right out the door. Ten minutes later, ten minutes earlier, they might have missed him. You know what I believe God did here? I believe He used this situation to teach Saul about the providence of God. Let me say this. God not only takes time in accomplishing His will, God takes into account time in accomplishing His will. What do you mean, preacher? Well, not just that it takes time, but that God, when it is time, God's timing is perfect. Is perfect. They showed up at just the right moment. I know there's been times in my life where I've fussed and grumbled and complained about some roadblocks and some hang-ups in the road. And, and, and you see this, I mean, most explicitly, you get out driving and, and you'll get aggravated, traffic, this, that, and the other. But I found this, that God's timing is always precisely and exactly what it ought to be. God never misses anything. We see the perfect timing here. But not only the perfect timing in Saul's life, but the perfect timing in Samuel's life as well. In other words, God has the ability to sync up what's going on in our life and what's going on in somebody else's life. Not only does He have the ability, He has the propensity to do it. That's precisely how God works. Now, you understand that Saul could have never learned just how interested in and invested in his life God was had it not been that these donkeys strayed in the first place. Again, I'm not... If you're here tonight and if you're a donkey, you know what the message is to you? Go home. Go home. Get in the pen. Get your heart right. Get your life right. This is why I said we're going to be preaching a little bit around these donkeys tonight more than on them. Because most people in this room, if they are donkeys, they probably wouldn't admit it. But there's probably a few of us souls in the room tonight that's aggravated and brokenhearted and troubled and disturbed at loved ones that we have that are not living or doing what they ought to be doing. And let us take courage in this, that the providence of God gives us great comfort and understanding that that donkey's not going to come home a moment too soon or a moment later it's going to come home in just the right way to accomplish God's means, God's design, and God's will in its life and in our life as well. This taught him about the... I can think of nothing better to teach him about the providence of God than this instance. How could Saul do anything? Uh, you, You ever found yourself in such unusual circumstances that you could not help but say, God must have put me here? Surely Saul is saying, God must have put me here. Not only that, look at verse number 15. The Bible says, Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin. Thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry is come unto me. And when Samuel saw Saul, say that five times fast, The Lord spake unto him, Behold the man whom I spake to thee of. This same shall reign over my people. We find here that this taught Saul something about the preparation of God. That when we're in the will of God, God will go before us and prepare the hearts of others 
and prepare our own hearts for what needs to transpire. We find in this passage that God had been preparing the seer. Before Saul ever showed up, God had already been talking to Samuel and opening his heart and causing him to be vigilant and aware and ready and perceptive and seeking of who this person would be. By the same token, we see that God had also been preparing His servant. God had been preparing Saul uh, so that whenever he walked through the door, whenever he stepped in... Imagine, I mean, you understand that when he walks in and they see one another, Saul just sees some random person walking down the street. But Samuel, the voice of God, speaks to him as it had been doing since he was a young boy and said, Samuel, that's the man. That's the man. That tells me that God not only had to coordinate Samuel's footsteps, He had to coordinate Saul's footsteps too to put him right there in that perfect moment. You know, very often as we go through these experiences and very often in our lives when we've been the donkey, when we've got out of the will of God, when we've not done right, we can rest assured and and, and gain comfort from recognizing that oftentimes God has used that and what He's doing in our lives to show to others that God always is watchful and caring over His people. And that He literally orders the footsteps of men that His will might be accomplished. Look at verse number 18 with me. The Bible says, Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. This is, this is astonishing. He says, Go up before me unto the high place. For ye shall eat with me today and tomorrow I will let thee go and will tell thee all that is in thine heart. As for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on all thy father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? It taught him something about the proficiency of God. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, no, concerning two things, and they both build off one another. First off, we see that Samuel looks at Saul and says, you've been chasing after these donkeys. Don't worry about the donkeys. God's already found the donkeys. Now, again, as we're drawing, I think, a spiritual application here, those donkeys are very important. They would, to you and me, represent our loved ones that are astray. They would represent you and me when we're astray. But I'd remind you that in the grand scope of this literal context, these donkeys are really not very important. Samuel is getting ready to anoint Saul king over Israel. A couple of donkeys are not of great import. And I don't think anybody, Saul himself included, Kish included, would have at the end of this thing, when Saul sitting on the throne of Israel, would have been too mad at God if God had let those donkeys perish in the wilderness. If we had never known what happened to them, if all they did was serve their purpose, bring Saul to Samuel, and they died somewhere and we never knew the end of the story, I think most people would say, well, it probably don't really matter that much. But it mattered to God. You know why? Because, and don't try to overanalyze what I'm about to say, but because God was the reason they was in the wilderness in the first place. God was working to bring Saul to Samuel by having them out in the wilderness. Not to say that they didn't stray, but just say that God's working effectually. So God felt it was His responsibility to bring them back. You see, here's what, here's what Saul learned. That God is proficient concerning challenges. That there is no problem that God can't handle. That there's no problem that is too big for God. And by the way, there's no problem too small for God. 
you got a couple of donkeys wandering out in the wilderness, guess what? God can take care of it. By the way, you got some loved ones wandered out in the wilderness. God can take care of that too. We see concerning challenges. And you know what that tells us? That God is also proficient concerning choices. So the direction of the conversation changes quickly. In fact, it's almost as though this whole thing about the donkeys is just kind of put out of Saul's mind. Samuel says, about those donkeys, Saul, that you're worried about, don't even worry about those. That ain't why you're here anymore anyway. They're already found. Just put them out of your mind. Don't even think about them. But, Saul, here's the greater reason that you're here. Because God's chosen you to be king over Israel. And Saul looks at Samuel and says, Me? I'm a Benjamite. That's the smallest tribe. My family's the smallest family in the smallest tribe. I'm no one of any significance. I'm no one of any importance. In other words, it's almost like Saul is saying, Samuel, you could choose anybody. So why would you choose me? Now, you might say, well, preacher, one doesn't really have anything to do with the other. I beg to differ. I think it does. You see, if there is nothing that God cannot overcome, if there is no challenge that God is not able to overcome, then when He chooses you and I to serve Him, He must be choosing it not because He's left without any options, but because He knows that is the best path. It teaches us that everything God does, God does well. I see in this passage that it taught him about the proficiency of God. Look at verse 22. We're moving at a clip, so you hang in with me. Verse 22, the Bible says, And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor, made them sit in the chiefest place among them that were bidden, which were about thirty persons. And Samuel said unto the cook, listen to this carefully, Bring the portion which I gave thee, of which I said unto thee, Set it by thee. And the cook took up the shoulder and that which was upon it, and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Behold that which is left. Set it before thee and eat. For unto this time hath it been kept for thee, since I said I have invited the people. So Saul did eat with Samuel that day. Do you realize what's just happened here? They're having a dinner party, right? They've got a certain amount of place settings. They've got a certain amount of of food for each person. This has been carefully planned. But the day before... Samuel went to the cook and said, Hey, listen, we're going to have an unexpected dinner guest. So you take a piece of that meat and you set it to the side and you prepare it separately. So you know what happens. Uh, Samuel says, Bring it all in and set it before Saul. And they begin to divvy things out. They start passing potatoes and biscuits and, and they begin setting everything out. And you know that there is just enough left over for Saul to be able to eat. All this is done to galvanize in Saul's mind that he is not there by accident. He's there by providence. And I believe God used this to teach him about the provision of God. That God sees our needs before we see our needs. It's interesting because by the time Saul gets to this city, he's hungry. In fact, he says to his servant, he says, what are we going to give the man of God? We've got to give him some kind of gift, some kind of offering, something for telling us where to go. And he says, the bread's already spent. We don't have anything left to eat. We have nothing left. Isn't it interesting the way that God can bring you to absolute nothingness at the moment that He has something prepared to meet your need? God saw their need before they saw their need. Don't you think if they knew they were going to be out that long, they would have packed more bread? But they didn't pack more bread. You know why? Because they had no clue what was going to happen. 
But you know who did pack more provisions? God packed more provisions. God knew their need before they knew their need. And you know, I found in my life, especially in, in being heartbroken over seeing loved ones uh, struggle or loved ones not where they need to be. You know what I found? Uh, sometimes when preachers preach, you'll hear this language. Sometimes they'll preach and they'll say, this is preventative medicine. And what they mean by that is if you don't need it tonight, you might need it next week. So tuck it back and remember it. And God will take that truth and bring it back to your mind. And I can't tell you the numbers of times that God has brought back truths to my mind. Sermons that I've heard people preach. Lessons that I've heard taught. Quotes and and things that I've heard said and truths that I've heard revealed. That at the time, I didn't even know I needed. But you wait and let me get heartbroken. You wait and let my life get a mess. You wait and let some of the donkeys that I love wind up somewhere out in the wilderness. And I found out that God sees needs that we never even saw ourselves. He learned something about the provision of God in seeing our needs, but not only that, in satisfying our needs. You know how it ends. It ends like every good Baptist verse in the Bible should end. So Saul did eat with Samuel that day. God didn't just see his need. He made provision for it. He met that need. So he learned about the provision of God. Look down at verse number 27. This is the last verse in the chapter. In fact, let's read this and let's read a few verses in chapter 10. The Bible says, As they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servant pass on before us. And he passed on. But stand thou still a while that I may show thee the Word of God. Now, what did he mean when he said, I'll show thee the Word of God? He didn't mean I'm going to take out a Bible and show you my uh, you know, my new Bible that I bought. He didn't mean I'm going to take you through and show you passages of Scripture. What he meant is I'm going to speak the Word of God to you. I'm going to speak the will of God to you. I'm going to reveal to you the plan of God in your life. Let me say that God used the string of these donkeys to teach Saul about the plan of God. In other words, there were there were places that it took him and ways that it shaped him, and and callings that it drew him into that he never would have experienced had those donkeys never strayed. He learned a couple things about the plan of God. First, he learned this, that it was a crowning plan. It says in verse number 1 of chapter 10, Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? In other words, you know what happened? God called Saul from being a lowly farmer, a lowly chaser of donkeys, to being the king of Israel through this process. You know, very often in our brokenness, in our struggles with with people that we care about, in the conflict, in the hostility, God can use that to do greater and bigger things through us and in our lives. God can often use it to equip us and empower us and enable us in ways that we had never anticipated. Listen, you may look at it and say, well, preacher, why am I having to go through this struggle? Why am I having to go through this trial? God may start using you to minister to somebody else that's going through that thing and they need to see that you have the authority and the experience to wear the crown, to speak truth in their life authoritatively, to be someone with credibility and legitimacy and and, and veracity and authenticity. God may be using that to equip you for a greater scope of influence in someone's life. We see that that plan of God, it involved His crowning. 
But look down at verse number 6. We'll read past a little bit here. Not that it's not important, not that it's not interesting, and I encourage you to read it, but just for time's sake, God essentially gives, or Samuel essentially gives Saul a list of astonishing things that will happen, and those things will confirm that this is indeed the will and the plan of God. And it ends in this way, verse 6. He says, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon me, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. In other words, what he learns about the plan of God is that overall the purpose and intent of it is twofold. One is to call him, to commission him into the work of God. But not only that, the other is to conform him into the image of God. That the purpose of it is that God might change his life. Can I tell you something? That hurt that people put you through, it's not just changing them, it's changing you. And that's by design. God wants to make you look more like Jesus in the way you behave, in the way you operate, in the way that you conduct yourself. And you may look at it and say, well, preacher, there's no reason, there's no rhyme, there's no sense in what they're doing, but you can't see everything God's doing. And I I promise you this, God does nothing for no reason. And God is through that trial, through that hurt, through that pain, trying to conform you more into the image of Christ. We see that he learned about the plan of God. And finally, and I'm done, I want to read four verses to you. Can you hang in? You've hung in so good. Can you hang in for four more verses? Look at verse 7. Samuel says, And let it be when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee. Then notice what he says in verse 7. For God is with thee. He learned something about the presence of God through the straying of these donkeys. Through the hurt, through the pain that he was experiencing. You know what he learned? He learned that God is the type of God that wants to be with you. With you. You know that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. It's what He promised us, right? The Holy Ghost is ever with us. But I've also found that often in my moments of pain is when He's so real to me. When He's so real to me. It's not that I don't know that He's real, but it's just, it's just, it's nice to feel Him with me. I, one of the things I love about my little boys, and, and I probably won't always love this, it may grow to be a headache, but I love it right now. It is, you know, we as a family, pastoring and stuff, and, and I'm able, I'm blessed to be able to do a lot to create my own schedule. And, uh, and I'm a bit of a homebody. If I don't have to leave the house, I don't leave the house. And I'm blessed to be able to spend a lot more time with my wife and children than a lot of people are. And, and so we spend a lot of time just in the same room together. I'll be working and, and going about making phone calls and doing church stuff. And if you've, if you've ever called your preacher, you know this is true because you could hear his kids going crazy in the background. And, and we, we spend a lot of time in the same room together. And I found that especially the littler they are, like the age that Schofield is, he don't like even for me to leave the room. And he's especially like that with his mama. It don't matter. You can tell him. You can say, well, now, she's just coming right back. She's just going to the restroom. She's going to grab this out of the basement. But he just likes for you to be in the same room. And if you say, if you decide you're going to be in another room of the house, if I'm going to go work in the basement, if I'm going to go work in the bedroom, it ain't long. And I hear a little hand knocking on the door. He knows I'm in there. He knows we're in the same place. But he just wants to feel my presence. He just wants to be able to turn and just see daddy. Wants to hear me breathe. He just wants to know. He just wants my felt presence in the room. There's a difference between a faith presence and a felt presence. I know He's always with us. But isn't it sure good when you can feel Him in the room? 
And I'm not even talking about physical feeling. I'm just talking about when you are so in communion with Him, when you are in such fellowship with Him, that it is just so fresh on your mind that He's sitting right there with you. Saul learned through all this that there was a personal presence of God in his life. God wasn't just over creation. God wasn't just in Israel. God wasn't just in Jerusalem. God was where He was. He learned that through this process. Not only did he learn it was a personal presence, he learned it was a powerful presence. Look at verse 9. It says, And it was so that when when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. You know what he learned? He learned it was a powerful presence. He learned that the presence of God in his life could give him another heart. He learned that the presence of God in his life could give him a new song. He learned that the presence of God in his life, no matter what else was going on, that God was able to come into his situation and give him a song and give him a sermon and give him joy and give him peace and give him direction. In other words, he learned that even when your donkeys are way out in the wilderness... And learn that even when everything seems to be going wrong, that God's still in control, and that God's still good, and that God's still present. By the way, you know, I bet those donkeys, I don't think those donkeys really knew much of anything. I don't know how much donkeys know. But I do know this about them. I know that though they might have been disobedient, though they might have made some mistakes, though they might have strayed, though they might have wandered, I think that if you had asked Saul, Saul would have said, well, you know, it all worked out. Not because it just worked out, but because God worked all things together for good. I'm I'm saying to you, you and I, we've made mistakes in life, and we've caused heartache in life, and we've broken people's hearts in life. And if we're not careful, we'll let the weight of that and the guilt of that weigh us down and hinder us and stifle us. Or we can commit that stuff to the providence and wisdom of God and recognize that just as He's used that from others' lives to work in our lives, He used it from our life to work in other people's lives. And we can recognize, I guess, if I was to sum it all up, that the judge of all the earth always does right. And that God doeth all things well. And that even in our straying, even in our mistakes, God is able to bring good out of it. And in your life, if you've got some loved ones that you're broken over, don't miss what God's trying to do in your life while you're begging God to do something in their life.